Hi guys and welcome to the same take. Hello guys and welcome back to the Sid Take. Currently I'm getting over a sickness. I don't know what I have nor do I care because at the end of the day all I care about is being healthy. So to get into it. Today's episode will be all about must-see college movies. I'm going to list four, but I might do another episode to go more into some other movies. But as I was looking through, I really thought I would give four movies that come from different types of categories. Because as I was thinking about it, I was like, there's a lot of great college movies. But I feel like if I were to give a good must-see college list... I had to hit every ballpark. Again, you do not have to agree with any of my suggestions because we all have differing opinions, but these are what I consider the four best college movies. So the first college movie is a fun one. It's the National Lampoon's Animal House, which came out in 1978, and it's all about when Larry and Kent arrive on campus. They're socially inept freshmen and they're Larry's played by Thomas Hulse and then Kent is played by Stephen First and they basically attempt to pledge a snooty Omega Theta Pi house fraternity but they are rejected and then they must lower their standards and then try out for the notorious rowdy Delta Tau Chi house and Delta Tai Chi I'm gonna say it wrong because it's literally a mouthful is always in trouble. As I just said before, very rowdy. The dean has it out for them and so does the snooty Omega Theta Pi house. Now, they have been put, the Deltas have been put on double secret probation, but secretly they're making the Omega's president tasked, the, basically the snooty rich fraternity, the Omega Theta Pi president is tasked with having to basically find a way to get the Delta Tai Kai's house charter revoked so that he can kick them the hell off campus and get them away because the dean hates them and finds them all troublesome idiots. Now some fun facts about this is Donald Sutherland, who would come to play the present Snow in Hunger Games, was so convinced of the movie's lack of potential that when offered a percent of the, gra of the gross or flat fee of 75000 for his three days work, he took the upfront pay. If he had taken the gross percentage, he would have been worth an additional 3 to $4 million. So that just kind of shows you that not a lot of people... Especially Donald Sutherland, who is now an esteemed actor, had faith in this movie. And when you watch it back, you realize, like, it's fun, it's stupid, but it genuinely is a really just fun, good movie. And yes, it's from the 70s, and yes, it's the 20, it's 2022 right now. But at the end of the day, I think a good movie is a good movie. And if you have fun with it, then that's what's great. I mean, I put this in the genre of comedies that are, like, stupid but fun, and, like, it reminds me of, like, Revenge of the Nerds and, like, some, like, old quirky movies that are just always fun to watch. I would never say they have the biggest plot in the world, but it's just a good time. And then there's also another couple of facts. A film debut of Kevin Bacon and then Karen Allen. 
and everyone knows Kevin Bacon, obviously, um, Footloose. So there was more money spent on advertising promotion for the film than on the film itself, which again feeds into the fact that I don't think people, including the actors or the people involved, really thought it would make that much money. But I think people underestimate the fact that a fun, feel-good movie that people can just sit down and just relax for like an hour and a half is something that will never lose its charm. The next movie definitely sparked a whole generation of females who wanted to be lawyers. Yes, I'm talking about Legally Blonde, which came out when I was born, 2001. Now, this whole movie, if you've not seen it, which I would be very surprised if you hadn't, is where Elle Woods, played by one of my favorite actresses ever, Reese Witherspoon, ends up wanting to be the Mrs. Warner Huntington III. Like, she wants to marry this spoiled, rich guy who is going to Harvard, and he dumps her. And she thinks he's going to propose, but he dumps her. And she kind of scrambles. Like, I, I want him. Like, I, like I, I don't get why he dumped me. Like, like, she just looks for a way so that he will take her back. Which, ladies, if he dumps you, give up. Never do this for a man. My favorite part of this movie is honestly the girl power that develops with, within her and I just really think she really finds herself being a lawyer. I think she finds her power that she didn't get as being like a fashion mer merchandising person. Like, yes, her fashion is impeccable. But at the end of the day, like, I think she really pushed back the stereotype of being this blonde, dumb girl. From at least the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie, which is like halfway, she really is convinced that she's doing this to get him back. And yes, that is her intention. But at the end of the day, like... If you find your career and you find empowering yourself, like, I think that's the most inspiring thing about this movie is that what started off to be, like, a dud sexist viewpoint ended up not being one. It ended up being, like, basically finding a way for this woman who I think did not know her potential to find her potential and harness it. And I think the funniest scene, which I respect so much, is that, like, there's a scene with the perm where, um, oh, what's her name? Linda something. She was on Freaks and Geeks. She's sitting there and she is getting questioned about what she did on the day of her father's death. This is the daughter. And then Elle figures out in her moment where everyone is judging her because she's processing and trying to come up with questions. This is her first time really being in the, at the helm of a real situation in a courtroom. She finds out that this girl got a perm and then says she took a shower. And anyone who's ever got a perm or doesn't know or learned from this movie is you can't wash your hair after getting a perm like the day after or the day of. Like that's just, it's just not possible. And like in this moment, like it's the most girl thing that could be viewed as sexist, but then it turns into something like, she used what she knows from her own experiences, yes, of being a woman, yes, of being a girly girl, but at the end of the day, she used it and she won. Like, she found the hole in the case with her own ability and what she's good at, like, her interest and in what she's good at. And, like, there's so many moments in this movie that could be sexist, but then our Breece Witherspoon and the way the writers handled it disproves the sexism. Like, it's, it's like, combated. 
Like, it's crazy, because, like, the whole idea of literally making a movie about a blonde girl that's dumb who gets into Harvard sounds sexist. And, like, even as I say it now, it is sexist. But, like, every single moment where she empowers herself and she breaks the stereotype is the most inspiring thing about this movie. And I think for a lot of people, women who are not blonde, not that that even matters, but, like, women in general watching this movie could be inspired to be like, hey, I want to take the helm of of a courtroom. I want to be, or just in general, I want to be something that I am passionate about and I care about that makes me feel empowered, makes me feel like I can do something. I think even a guy watching it, like her husband eventually, um, Emmett, is floored by her power, honestly. I think he respects her so much for all the hard work she did and like, even if you watch the second movie, there's so many times that people knock her down and underestimate her. And it's the way that Elwood's just takes control of the situation and says, no, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let you treat me this way. And I think even with the professor, when the professor looked down on her and was like, um, well, she has like scented sheets that are pink, like resumes that are pink, and she does all these things that are girly, like, oh, she's just someone to like mess with, um, like sexually and like, uh, like take advantage of because you think you can because she's blonde and she's supposedly dumb. And I think pushing past people like that and saying, no, um, I actually am smart and you are not allowed to do that. That's wrong. was really empowering for me growing up watching that movie. Now here's some fun facts that I learned about the movie. So the part where Delta knew, which is Elle's sorority at the time before she transfers and goes into Harvard Law School, ends up where they're voting on name brand toilet paper was actually based on a real sorority that the co-writer of the movie Karen McColls actually experienced at a sorority in James Madison University. She reportedly said, we were denied of our toilet paper. I offered my sister's activity points for stealing replacement rolls from the administration building. So she encouraged them by giving them activity points, which I don't go to James Madison, but I would assume that is something that definitely would make them want to do it. It could be like housing related, like they might get a better room in like the sorority house or by better room on campus, something like that, but definitely a motivation. Also, Davis, who plays Warner, he actually said he based Warner off of the President George W. Bush, which, I mean, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Like, you could kind of see that. Uh, also, the producer really wanted a scene for Jennifer Coolidge, who played Paulette. At first, it was going to be about a robbery or a crime, but then McCullough and co-writer Kirsten Smith created the bend and snap in a drunken moment at a bar. And McCullough said, what if Elle shows Paulette a move so she can get the UPS guy? And then Smith came up with a now famous move on the spot, which is so crazy because when I watched it, I was like, oh, maybe this exists. But no, it was completely made up drunk one night at a bar, which is so interesting. My third movie is one that is a completely different genre than the last two. This is Goodwill Hunting, which came out in 1997 and it features Matt Damon Ben Affleck, and the now unfortunately deceased Robin Williams. Now, this whole movie is about Will Hunting, who's played by Matt Damon, has a genius level IQ, but he chooses to work as a janitor at MIT. When 
he solves a difficult graduate level math problem, his talents are discovered by pres Professor Gerald Lambeau, who decides to help the misguided youth reach his potential. But when Will's arrested for attacking a police officer, Professor Lambeau makes a deal to get leniency for him if he will go get treatment from a therapist. And the therapist's name is Sean McGuire, who is played by Robin Williams. Now, I love this movie. When I watched it, I I think there's just so many mo moments. It kind of like very much reminded me of Dead Poet Society and like the vibe of that. I think it's just because they were in the same time period and also maybe because Robin Williams played both um, a kind of teacher role in, in both situations. But I will say there's just something so magical about this movie. And I don't know if it's the fact that like Affleck and Damon both worked on it together and it was a friend project that they were so passionate about. But I have some really cool facts to talk about it and I'm about to share them with you. So while Affleck and Damon had done a bit of work as actors, the actual studio executives didn't want them to star in the movie as well. They like they were like, well, you can write it, we'll take the script, we'll put it out, but we don't know if we want you to star in it. And they were not happy with that, but they did tell the studio if they were to get anyone, they would get Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio instead. But eventually they found a way to get them to do it I think through Merrimax because at first it was Castle Rock who put the script and turn around but then Merrimax was where they found their footing and Merrimax is the one who put their faith in these two very young and honestly un inexperienced actors which is crazy that in in the 90s or just in general of any time decade year whatever that a money-making company would especially Miramax because Miramax at the time in the 90s was really making so much money and like they were at the height of their time unfortunately Harvey Weinstein was getting that money but still what I'm saying is like to put your your cards in your your like you know your your eggs in in the basket of some inexperienced actors and writers is really like it could have panned so badly but instead it got two two academy awards which is crazy um, so the actual, perhaps the most quintessential line from the Goodwill Hunting is when Will taunts a Harvard student with saying, how do you like them apples at a bar? And people often say that line was a fake Boston accent, everything, like people joke about it now. Like that's a very like funny line that people reference, but like you don't know. Just kind of like um, Top Gun, like I feel a need for speed. Like people don't know where that's from sometimes, but people do say it. But this is actually an older phrase, and it was actually used in another notable movie, Chinatown. Another really cool fact is that only four people have ever been nominated for acting and writing in the same year, and Matt Damon was one of them. The other three have been Charlie Chaplin for The Great Dictator, Orson Welles for Citizen Kane, and then Sylvester Stallone for Rocky, which are great names to be put up with. So the last movie I'm going to talk about is The Social Network, which came out in 2010. I put this movie in the mix and you're probably like, is this a college movie? It's more of a biopic, um, like based on a real story situation. And before I even explain it or go into the other things, I'm going to explain this. So National Lampoon's Animal House was a comedy. Legally Blonde is a comedy slash I would say romance and like empowerment movie for females. So I feel like I have to put that in because from a female perspective, I viewed it as very influential for me growing up. 
Goodwill Hunting is just an amazing movie and it is based around college students and honestly people in their 20s. I think it's very impactful to use and receive the advice that Robin Williams' character delivers. Lastly, the social network. So why the social network? I view the social network as interesting because I go to BU and I think I've met just like everyone else in that area, a bunch of people from a bunch of colleges, and you learn so much from those people. And I find it funny because I'll watch this movie, and it has so many references to things like I know about because I live in that area. But if you're outside the area, you look at this movie, and you might be like, wow, it's like a genius who basically took advantage of everyone around him who wasn't as smart and <laughs> made a, what, billion-dollar company at this point with open shares and then had to change its name to now Meta because it's not Facebook anymore, which is insane. But what, as much as we might love to hate Mark Zuckerberg, he did something amazing and all of this was in college. And I feel like as a college student watching, watch, as a college student watching this movie, like a lot of people want to be him. A lot of people want to be able to say, I dropped out of Harvard. I dropped out of a college and I became a very, one of the most wealthy men in the world. I mean, he was roughly Bill Gates in some respects. That's a big claim, but yes. Anyway, so that is why I chose it, because I think, just like Le Legally Blonde, in its own right, I think it's very inspiring, even if it's bashing the creator and person who created Facebook basically but I still thought it was very interesting backstory and it was based in college so I thought for a sort of non-fiction slash mm, sort of fiction because it is a movie and it's based technically on true events I think it's important to watch it. To explain what the movie is about is basically where in 2003, Harvard undergrad and computer genius Mark Zuckerberg, who's played by Jesse Eisenberg, begins working on a new concept that eventually turns into a global social network known as Facebook, which is now known as Meta because it went under hot water. That's its own drama. That's its own situation. You can look that up. But six years later, he is one of the youngest billionaires ever. But Zuckerberg finds that his unprecedented success leads to both personal and legal complications when he ends up receiving the end of two lawsuits involving his former friend, who was played by Andrew Garfield, and it's all based on the books of accidental billionaires. Now, I think Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield really made this movie. Something interesting is that when it came to the scene where Eduardo Saverin, who was played by Andrew Garfield, storms into the Facebook office and then he smashes Mark Zuckerberg's laptop on the floor, the director who was, who's Fincher, whose name, whose last name is Fincher, made him do about 40 takes where the actor had to storm in up, storm up to Eisenberg, Eisenberg, smash the laptop, and then scream at him. At the end of the day, Garfield was so tired and worried that he'd have to do more takes, but Fincher actually walked up to him and was like, we're moving on, we're done, and he shook his hand. So that scene, if you've ever seen it, is very intense. So the fact he had to do an intense scene 40 times is mind-boggling, because like if you think about it, how would you still have the same energy, the same passion? Like I would have been burned, but I guess like the entire movie itself was really exhausting because they were forced to do so many takes like this, but 
I guess, whatever you can do to make something perfect, right? Anyway, so another fact is that Facebook actually asked their name to not be mentioned, according to Aaron Sorkin, who was one of the executives of the social network, and he requested, it basically requested its name to be taken out of the screenplay, and it was kind of ironic, because the company has, like, a free speech policy, and Sorkin having to change everything in the screenplay um, in order to satisfy the Sony's legal team was kind of it made sense because Facebook didn't want its name attached to the movie because in the movie it kind of got dragged through the mud and if you watch it so did Mark Zuckerberg like Mark Zuckerberg and even Eduardo all came out and were like this is really hurtful um and inaccurate but I would be very surprised if not if a good chunk of it at least about Mark weren't true because Mark has always seemed because he is so smart I feel like I I think to portray him out um, Jesse Eisenberg portrayed him might have been an exaggerated version, but I think when you're so smart, you can lack feeling and you can lack personal attachment to things. So to show he has not a lot of emotional depth and empathy kind of made sense in the situation. I don't know if he stole the idea with Facebook. I have no idea. That is something that I would have to do more research on. I'm talking about the movie itself, and I could kind of see why um, Mark Zuckerberg would be offended by the way they portrayed him. The last one was that there was actually no scenes that were filmed at Harvard, which is a very, very Hollywood thing to base an entire movie about Harvard and then not actually film it there. And it was probably somewhere remote. So this is the end of my episode and I hope you enjoyed episode five of the podcast. It was really fun making it. I will probably do a part two because I feel like this deserves it. I want to put a little more suggestions together, but there's a lot of information for these four movies and I thought it would be best to break it up just so that I could really go in depth and not rush through everything. But I really love all these movies and if you haven't seen it, I think you should give it a chance and go watch it. But I will see you next time. Bye guys.